Welcome to CTO Coffee. This time I'm talking to Daniel Lielk. He's a freelance software developer from Augsburg here in Germany. And yeah, he has just loads of experience in many different roles in the industry. And as such, I'm not even going to try to <laughs> explain anything, tell you anything more about him, but give him the opportunity to, to introduce himself. So hi, Daniel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So um, yeah, tell us about you. I'm Daniel. I have like a bit of a weird career. That's correct. I started, I started like after or even during university, like doing like these small freelance jobs and various, mostly doing like web apps and stuff like that. But it kind of translated into a job at this agency that was just forming. So it was like just two people. And after a while, I kind of became the CTO of this app development agency. So I kind of started my career as a CTO, which was, which is very weird and was a kind of roller coaster of an experience i gotta tell you and i learned a lot then i also i, I switched jobs a lot because just i, I love startups and i, I want to be i want to be at the, at the very cutting edge of technology and and progress and stuff like that and so i kind of became a freelancer after a few years of ctoing and i also was a team lead in many of these many of these positions. I'm, I'm just telling you that I have some credentials for to be on a podcast called CDO Coffee. What I also did was I tried to launch a space startup last year, two years ago, two years ago. You're not Elon Musk, right? I'm not Elon Musk. We didn't want Otherwise, to we, we, we would have to stop right now. But I'm definitely, I have almost nothing in common with Elon Musk. <laughs> Except for a space startup. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But we didn't want to build rockets. We just wanted, wanted to build satellites and have them filled with computers. I can tell you more about this later if you want. I'm a huge advocate of feminism. And in my spare time, I also I try to write my own apps every now and then. But right now I just have one app in the store and the rest is kind of way past in history but as a claim to fame i do have i had one of the first 100 apps in the app store when it launched because i was just like so excited about the iphone when it came out that i was like okay i gotta do something i gotta teach myself how to how to write iphone apps and i created like this tiny tiny app that gave you this timer for 10 minutes and then it gave you the ding and then it gave you another time for two minutes and the idea was that you would concentrate on something for 10 minutes and then you'd get a two minute break kind of and then it would start again so you you'd have these little breaks in between so you could stay more motivated that was like kind of during my university days and it helped me and others like study better i i hope it's like a half pomodoro like oh yeah that's exactly the same the same idea and i think yeah. i i don't think i invented the thing i think i heard it from do you know merton man he's like this productivity yes, guru course, and yeah. I, i used to listen to his podcast so it was kind of like his idea and i also credited him in the in the app but i felt like this is the right technique for me because I lose concentration easily sometimes. And so, so this was very good. Yeah. So and interesting. And yeah, I mean, you, you said that you started your career basically backwards, like starting as a CTO. Yeah. And of course, as, as such, it's super interesting to hear about your earnings with, or you think like maybe makes a good CTO or yeah. So What have you learned? What do you think is like the most important thing that you've done or have learned? Oh, that's a very good question. I think the most important thing that I learned is that 
like this is something I, I needed to learn because the, our, our, our team had grown and grown and I was like kind of de facto technical lead. And then after, after a while, like I was like the kind of CTO, but then when it, when it became official, I thought like nothing would change, right? I, I've, I still have my friends in the company who I like more than others and I can just like talk to them. And, but the thing that I realized, and I didn't realize this alone, like I had people I had people who told me this and asked me to really reconsider this is when you are a leader or a technical leader in this, in this, in this time, then you have to make decisions. You have to be willing and able to, to be the final decision, even if it pisses some people off. Of course, you have to be careful to, to like take everyone's opinion and be fair to everyone. But the mistake that I did a lot in the first year or so was just waiting for someone else to take the decision off me. Whereas I should have, I should have just like said, okay, I am in the position that I, I am the final decider in these, in this field. So I'm making this decision after talking to everyone and then after like listening to everyone, but like someone needs to make a decision. And in my situation, I needed to realize that I was the one who had to make this decision, even if it was also not not the, the perfect decision, even if it's not, the decision for the next 100 years, but you give a direction and then you stick to it unless, un, until you are either convinced by someone that it's the wrong direction or that there's a better direction or the situation changes and you need to reevaluate. And that's also important, of course, right? like just because you decide something that's not set in stone, you, you should be able to reevaluate. And if someone comes to you and tells you like, hey, Benjamin, think about think about this and this and this, maybe reconsider your decision, then of course you should do that. Yeah, yeah, that, that make, makes a lot of sense. I, during, during my time as CTO and also as afterwards, I always think of these kinds of situations as kind of like, where I always call it like last line of defense, like when everything else fails in, in that case, like others making a decision, <laughs> then yeah, you're ultimately responsible that a decision gets made. Of course, you can take lots of measures to kind of delegate these decisions and um, create frameworks or processes or rules. Oh yeah, those are guidelines as well. Yeah, to to kind of like let other people make certain decisions and take over lots of decision making from you. But if all else fails, if all these systems that you put in place then ultimately fail at one point, maybe, then yeah, you're the one who who need to who need to make that that whatever decision. Right. That's kind of the second thing I learned. I, I started like making all the decisions, but I kind of became almost a micromanager until my coworkers went up to me and were like, Daniel, like slow down and delegate. So that was like the second learning really. I should really listen to people and hear what they're saying and then also like delegate and be able to leave off the small decisions to others and just, inf- just make sure that the, the, the general direction is clear, that the rules and goals of the company or the team are clear and that people have the space to breathe and to, to do their work. So, so what I settled on was I would, I would try to talk to people about the direction that I wanted to go and make sure that they would be on board with that and then like leave the implementation to other people, but like make it very clear, like where the responsibilities lie. Like this, this coworker would be responsible for this part and this coworker would be responsible for this part. And what they would do there 
would be more or less up to them as long as like the, we're all on, clear about the general direction we want to go, the, the rules and values that we have, that kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds good. One interesting part that you just said is, yeah, delegating, learning to delegate is was one of your key learnings. And um, yeah, in my experience and when talking to other people, that's also always a hard thing for people to, to accept. On the one hand, it's like this classic pieces of advice where other I don't know, wherever you go, people say, yeah, you need to learn to delegate as a yeah. leader or a manager. <laughs> Everyone says it. <laughs> yeah, but hey. nobody does it. And, and, right. and it's very hard to accept. So, yeah, let's, let's just pile on to that pile of advice. Right, because it feels like when you're delegating, it feels like, you're, like things are slipping out of your hands. You're losing control. Yeah. So, it's very, so hard to, it's very hard to give away. Like what I try to do is... Be very, be very much in close contact with the people who are delegated to so and be able to listen to them when, when, when any problems would arise. So I, I could be there, but try not to step on their toes while they do important work. Yeah, that, that's an, another interesting part or two interesting parts, actually. For one, I find it very interesting that you now already used multiple times used the word listen so mm. listening to people is, is very important um, I there, and there of course is the question of like how do you listen properly and then also like leaving people alone and not stepping on your toes and i personally always find it yeah de depends on the situation and the people of course but it's not always easy let's say that way to listen to people no, that's, that's, that's wrong. What I'm, what I'm trying to say, or the classic situation that, that I sometimes face is that, yeah, you want to talk to people, you want their opinions, but you also don't want to like disturb them or right. yeah, step on their toes, um, bring them out of their step. And like all these modern tools like Slack and, co and all, they, yeah, they make things worse because I, I so often wish for like an option like, okay, I want to write this person and whenever they they are ready for it, that message should appear in that earlier. And yeah, anyway, so how do you listen to people? How do you, do you have any tricks or tips to ask people about their opinions without like, yeah, stepping on their toes in terms of like, into in interrupting them totally totally so one thing you kind of like i i oh, i gotta start again hang on so when i was young i did this uh, civil service thing in, in germany like instead of like military service you can also do civil service service and where i i ended up in a drug rehab clinic i often tell people like oh yeah i spent nine months in drug rehab clinic uh, i did work there Mostly as a secretary, but of course, you also learn a lot about interacting with people, about like listening and talking to people and also like, like just like self-awareness because like I used to have, to have to do these night shifts and I would read all these books about applied psychology and like my favorite author was uh, Paul Watzlawick, for example who has this whole theory about like the different layers of communication and stuff like that and I think a lot of that rubbed off on me in a way that, and I still like to read these kind of, kind of books or texts like I, I, about like how people communicate. And it's, 
it's very hard to, to fit into like a, a soundbite or something, but you have to be willing to be open to someone. Like you have to be willing to be really interested in, into someone, even if they're, um, even if you are their boss or their manager. And you kind of have to project that you are will, willing to listen. So that means having, having like a dedicated time and space for them. So where they can, where they can really speak like, some people are very skeptical of one-on-ones if they're like too often or something, but like just going with your employee out for a coffee, like asking them, Hey, do you want to grab a coffee later at this time, this time? And just like chat about how is, how's it going for you? And by the way, tell them that it's just a chat and not like they're not being fired. And then just like, and just like the showing through your actions and through your words that you are willing to listen, that you are willing to act on what you, what you learn from them. And then also that you're going to be respectful towards them. I think that goes a long way, especially with us in tech. There are various minorities, right? There's like women in tech are still a minority, which is kind of sad. And the same goes for people of color, for example. And these people, especially, they have, they've had su- such a huge amount of bad experiences with casual racism or sexism where people don't even realize that they're, that they're doing it, right? Because as white cis men we are we are often unaware of the the damage we're doing so if you have such an employee then uh, it's even more important that you are that you educate yourself about about their situation and try to empathize empathize and be willing to listen about their experience in that regard for example does that make sense Yes, yes, very, very much, of course. And it's kind of like one of my core beliefs, of course. So what you basically also just talked about is like how to build trust, um, how to build a trustful relationship with your reports, employees, teammates. Yeah. What also um, helps, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. What also has been, I just thought about this is like, like explaining your reasoning. Like you can just say, oh, yes, I want a bridge there. But instead, if you say, hey, we should build a bridge together because it will help us A, B, and C, and I think this will be the best solution, then this, is, this helps motivate people a lot as well. Because if they can, can understand your reasoning, then they can, they can discuss this with you. And if they have a problem, they have a more easy point of insertion where they can say like, hey, this is, you said this about the bridge, but I disagree. Can we talk about this? Yeah, it's it's totally f- funny because um, like literally 15 minutes before we <laughs> started this talk, I was reading an article by Claire Liu, the CEO of Know Your Company. And she literally raised these two things that you just said as two of the three things that leaders can do to build trust with whoever they lead. And so, yeah, communicating the intent of your actions being one and the other one following through on your commitments. And the third one, which is also like a good one, and I'm just like getting here for for completeness sake, is um, showing vulnerability as a leader, like showing, okay, I am a person too, and I am not perfect. And yeah. Oh, yeah, that's super important. Yeah, just... Interesting that you raise exactly these points and without us talking before right. <laughs> about this article. Very cool. Yeah. So one of my favorite topics is, and you, you were basically just talking about that, is like how to build trust, how to get to, how to get a team to work 
to trust each other to work together in a trustful manner and all this these kinds of things which is often overlooked in in my experience when yeah when it comes to building teams or uh, working together and especially in a tech setting that yeah or teams rather often focus too much on like the technical parts of a project like okay which programming language do we use and all this kind of stuff so it, it would be interesting for me to hear like what happens in your experience when teams don't do that don't spend enough time on building trust don't spend enough time on actually taking care of the human side and instead like lose themselves in the technical parts right and that's when you get bro culture or this not like not definitely like it doesn't always lead to bro culture but it leads to this very isolated very disconnected kind of like bitter culture I bet you've seen this before. You have, they have these cliques forming about like the smokers outside or the coffee goers on the other side of the office. And they just talk amongst themselves, like complaining about everything, but not never going to their manager because they feel like it's not worth it anyway. And it's just like, it's like these, these bitter cliques going. And especially once this idea like takes root that like management is unapproachable or that you can't change anything because it's just shit anyway and i mean we're only talking about whether to use php or Perl. then like it's very hard to get out of people and it's like a very weird kind of setting where you go to work and you feel like you feel disconnected from from your coworkers, right and i mean they're not yeah they're not your family <laughs> i i kind of dislike it when when companies talk about themselves as families like this is kind of an aside but because my family can't fire me my family doesn't, doesn't pay me for work, but you have to have a friendly and open environment because otherwise you can't do your, your best work, right? You, you want to have like an environment that focuses on the people. So why is that? Maybe management is only concentrating on the technical issues because they just, I don't know, they, they just don't know better or they are always busy and they give off this impression that they're completely unapproachable or they themselves like have this toxicity in their culture and are unaware of that. For example, in many companies, like not in all of them, of course, and I don't think in the majority, but there's these, there's these companies where the boss and the first three men, and it's always men, have this super bro-y sexism kind of culture. And of course, and of course that trickles down where everyone like quickly learns that you can't talk about your feelings you can't talk about vulnerabilities and like jokes about women or people of color whatever are commonplace and just accepted in the way a way of gaining social capital but there's also like also these places where it's just like it's just very like clinical and just never an issue right they don't know that they could have could have a, such a way better atmosphere where people are are happy to be like to express themselves through their work to have the freedom to make errors or mistakes and to be like to to have the freedom to to float like wild ideas every now and then where they are not sure themselves whether this is good so you have to make yourself approachable and i mean we talked about this just right now you have to make yourself open and be able to and, and vulnerable and be able to listen and you also have to lead as a good example like you have to call out the bad jokes because they make everyone uncomfortable and they completely poison the atmosphere you have to um 
find other ways of team building except like a kicker uh, a foosball table right i mean i love foosball but if that's the only way of providing team building that's not that's not good if you want to do team building you have to find a way where people can talk to each other and you have to be you have to be able to, to you have to be able to create an atmosphere where people can express their concerns and improve their work environment and where that is not where that is that is welcomed and where that is like just a normal thing like hey someone has an idea and they just speak up about it so b before before that we talked about like okay what can leaders do in order to yeah build trustful relationships but let's assume there is a team or a company that doesn't show all these signs that you just right. talked about is not broy and, and all that yeah have great leaders but then i think it's also not always super clear and straightforward what every individual of the company who doesn't right. have like authority who who is just like a regular person regular developer or marketing professional or whatever what can these people without authority do in order to kind of play their part in in creating a, a great culture where empathy and understanding for others is is a real value right and i i found myself in these situations as well right like i i was once in a company where where it was very bad but i i had this coworker piotr who who just quickly became my absolute hero in that regard because whenever something went wrong and like the whole company was like oh yeah this is just normal like when the the boss would just come in and shout at all the developers for two hours not because they'd done anything wrong but, but because he just wanted to motivate them air quotes <laughs> and everyone else would just like be like oh yeah he's just like that whatever and like the whole company would be in, in this in this kind of stockholm syndrome but he would speak up every single time he would go to the appropriate person and say in a very calm tone this is not okay i i did not like that i felt very threatened by this or i felt sad about this and i would like this to change and quickly what happened was that like we became very good friends like he's still one of one of my best friends now if you listen to this hi uh, quickly we learned that we we could band together. And even though it was already effective when he did it alone, because he was doing it in a, he was very courageous about it. He would just like go there, be quiet, be, be respectful, but unrelenting. Like whenever something bad happened, he would point it out, like be it in software or in the team. And quickly we learned that if we banded together, if we talked about this before, just between us, and then went to the managers as a group, it would be even more effective. So we would, we would find an issue and just three or five of us would go to the manager and be like, hey, we would like to talk, to the, talk about this. And to be honest, we didn't turn the place around or anything, but we considerably improved our, our surroundings. And of course, I'm saying this as someone who's like well-spoken, who's I gotta, I gotta bring up the sexism again. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like, as a as a white guy who has very little discrimination, so I can do this. So it's even more important if you have people who experience more disc discrimination in your team that you are the one who speak up. Because as white guys, we have so much privilege that we can use this to our advantage and improve the situation for our whole team. I, I always find it interesting, everything you said. I, I agree with it 100% and also that you um, can and should use your privilege if you have some to, to oh, improve others. 
I just thought of one more thing. Sure. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Um, no problem. Like most of the time, it's not that bad, right? Most of the time, it's not a horrible situation where everything is shit and you have to, can I say shit on this podcast? I hope. I you um, already did multiple times, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to fight for every centimeter of ground, right? But like sometimes it's just the way that things are okay, but they could be a little bit better. And even then, you can, do the, you can use the same strategies. You can be, you can be respectful. You can bring, out, bring up things at the appropriate time in a good, good manner and just make good suggestions. Like ideally you think about a specific way of improving things. Like you don't say, I don't like this. You say, I don't like this. I would like to try this way instead. And you try to form alliances with your coworkers and gain social capital kind of this way. Like you talk about your idea and if you bring it up, then you know that at least three or four of your coworkers all think the same way kind of. And so therefore you, they have your back. And so this way you can, if you have a good team already, this way you can improve it even more and you can like gently nudge it step by step into a really good team. Yeah, and, and, and I still like the approach also because it's super universal in that whenever you feel like, okay, something is not going as you would actually like it to, which doesn't have to be like super bad right. for that situation to be the case. But yeah, whenever you want something improved or changed, then yeah, make a small first step and talk to someone else. Find find allies or find other people with who can reflect on you and, and maybe sometime even tell you like, okay, yeah, it's, it's this time it's really you. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, that's <laughs> not a problem. It can stay that way. Well. That that can also happen, of course. And yeah. then it's a good thing if you yeah. hear that from, from a right. trusted source. And then, yeah, if you band together, if you're in a, in a bad, system and a, and a bad team then you can have more impact and, and you can protect each other in, in right. terms of like what you said with privilege like when multiple people speak up they cannot of course then everybody can still be punished but yeah that's maybe less likely than if just one person speaks up and it's like if just one person speaks right. up so yeah another thing very interesting that you raised which is also like speaks well to me is company is not a family um, <laughs> you added it as an, as an aside there and I, I think that's that's yeah I, I believe that too but at the same time I kind of have this conflict that's relationship with that idea or term if you want to call it that mm -hmm. because yes i totally believe a company is not a family for one family cannot fire me but at the same time i'm in order to be really productive in order to be really creative i really need to have a good relationship with my coworkers. Oh, yeah, totally. So, and in order to have a really good relationship or the, some signs of a good relationship are very similar to having like a family-like relationship with, with someone. Like I trust them when I, when I have a good relationship with someone, then, I, then I'm trusting them. And yeah. So while yes, they are not my family, but when I'm working with them in a really, really good way, then they are still pretty close to me. Oh, yeah, totally, like, totally. I don't have to love them like I do love my kids or my wife, but still I have a very good relationship with them. And so what do you think about that? Let's, just, uh, <laughs> let's leave it I, open. I, I totally see what you mean. And I, I very much agree that you want to have good a good relationship with your coworkers, with the people you manage or the people who manage you. Um, 
what I mean by this is not a family is that especially when power dynamics are involved, like not the people who are next to you in the hierarchy, but the people who are below you in the hierarchy and above you in the hierarchy is that the people who give you the money, they and you are in a business relationship. So you, 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 can, have, you can be very, very warm with them and you can be very open with them, but you, you can't really forget that. But this, at the same time, the people who, who you manage those people are very dependent on you. They, you are their boss, so you have to be, how do I say this? You don't want to be distant, but you have to be very fair and you don't want to be playing favorites with them. Like, even if I, if I have like a five people that I manage and one of them is in, into exactly the same things that I am, he's into or she's into computer games, space and race cars, let's say, and cats. Then of course we will talk more but I, I must be very careful that I don't give her the, all, the, all the good projects or like give her more time with me than, than all the other people in my team, even if they're not into cats. And so, so this is a very, these are things that I have to keep in mind when I work in a company. At the same time, the people who are on the same level as me in the, in the hierarchy, they, they sometimes really become really, really good friends. And I, I, I try to shy a little bit away from making too good friends with people that I manage or people who manage me. Like there should be like a little bit of distance, but yeah, I think, I think we're not so far apart from each other here that it's not the same model as a family, but it has relationships and it has trust and it should be, it's like all these relationships should be held in a way that allows this trust to grow and allows this openness. Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. Yes. And yeah, I didn't expect us to, to, to disagree there. And as, as often with these topics, it's of course, totally not black and white, but it's, it's always like, depends on the actual people. Right. Or the what I'm, what I'm saying to like I, the people I say this saying to like the company, not your family are usually, they're usually in a relationship with their company where the company is kind of taking a little bit more than they really should or that the people are giving a bit more than they should and getting not really all that they need in return. But of course, there are companies and I've worked with many of them where this is not the case and where, where the, the whole company is really laid out in a way that they take care of their employees and they take care of each and every one in the way that they deserve, deserve right? And in this case, like you can push this very far away it's not the it's not the main thing on your mind anymore. But like there are companies, and I've had friends in a, in a like in jobs that were kind of like abusive relationships. And this is then then this is when you really need to bring it to, to the forefront of your mind. You don't you don't like like there's no owing your company really. Like you should feel loyalty, and you should feel. Like ideally, because if, if it's a good company and if like there's a lot of trust in a good relationship, like you should continue building that trust. But if if you are being exploited, it's okay to say goodbye. Yes, definitely, definitely. And so yeah, loyalty. You you should should feel loyalty. I I would even like yeah take take that with a grain of salt, <laughs> because of course yeah loyalty should definitely at least have it's good to have the loyalty towards your company but it definitely should also have limits but that's i mean you basically said that so again we're not very far away there 
Another thing that came to my mind while you were talking is that it, it shows that you've yeah thought a lot about all these different kind of things and that you reflected quite a bit on yeah power relationships or power imbalances in relationships rather privilege cats and so yeah and I and also also recently multiple times realized that I really really like working with people who are reflected who think about themselves and the people around them and i don't know i have to look up what reflective actually means and what's what the definition is but yeah for the sake of this kind of like question that i'm somehow getting at is right. like yeah you you seem like a very reflective person and i'm often wondering how how can we show others who are maybe not as or how we perceive how i perceive as not as reflected that yeah being reflective is is a good thing because mm -hmm. i don't know because what and how can how can i show others that that it's a good thing how yeah. can i that being oh, that is such an easy question. <laughs> no, it is not. I mean, I have a few ideas about this, but you have to keep in mind, like, I, I'm just grasping in the dark here. And this is also just like a conversation in the dark, right. not right. actually. Um, um, but I mean, I bet there's like sociologists who could do this way better or explain this mm -hmm. way better. <clears throat> so what I know is that on the one hand, you can show people that it works. Like if you get one person who is not yet as reflective as you say, and you put them in a, into a group of people who are already very respectful towards each other, listen to each other, respect their boundaries and different needs and stuff like that, then I feel like they, this, this person who comes into this group will learn that, oh yeah, this is actually good. It feels nice to be this way and it feels it feels good it improves the group morale it's good for me just because you are in this group you kind of become like that a little, a little bit right so like so the one hand would be like just lead with good example like be that way and just let others see that it's good for the world and good for us like not if not society then at least the people around you and then the other hand is like call out people who try to destroy that or uh, maybe that's too harsh but what i mean is like when someone is is being an ass and not very reflective or not very respectful it's okay to call them out on it and i think it's even it's even very good thing to call them out out on it like example from my from my own past for example during university i was one of those guys who used the word gay as a slur but like as a word for something bad And it was only then when I came into contact with a different group of friends, they would always call me out on it. They would, every time I would say it, they would be like, stop saying, stop saying that. We don't say that here. And at first I would, I would be like, try to discuss it and be like, oh, but why? It's just a word, right? But they explained to, to me in very clear words, this word is not welcome here in this context. And also like, if you come across someone who is gay, Imagine how they would feel if their personhood would be used as an insult. Like, that's just a very shitty thing to do, right? And just because these people were respectfully even telling me, like, hey, cut that out, I, I did cut it out. And I, that was actually good. And then 
few years later, I go to the, to the Chaos Computer Club Congresses and I fell into a group of people who are like very strong advocates for feminism. And they would do the same when I said something that was sexist or maybe just like borderline kind of sexist. They would say, like, hey, explain that, please. Like, why, why would you say it like this? Like, I remember one thing where I was in the gym and then afterwards I texted someone and was like, oh, I feel so manly now. And they were like, wait, wait, why, why manly? And like, yeah, because I'm so strong. And, and she was like, but why is strong manly? Like, what does this have to do with anything? And like, we, we were kind of like back and forth. And I was like, ah, oh, I was kind of annoyed at, at her. But in the end, I was like, you know what? Yes, you're kind of right. Like, I feel strong and that feels good. And it doesn't have anything to do with my gender. So even for me, like friendly people who, call, who called me out for, for missteps that I took, and they, but they called me out in a, in a nice way. They were like, hey, please don't do that. Or, hey, please, let's talk about this. That these people helped me a lot and I'm incredibly thankful for them. And I think we can do this as well. Like if you have someone who is rude to his, co- his or her coworkers, you can, you can say like, hey, please don't be rude. Or just say, <laughs> even just say like, not cool. It sounds so weird, but if you, if you just don't react at all positively to some weird joke or some insult or something, then people will learn socially that, oh yeah, this is actually not acceptable, but me as a person, I'm, I'm still accepted. Of course, there's people who are like incredibly extreme. I don't know how to help these people, right? I mean, there's, there's racists, like proper right-wing racists who you can't help. There's people who are just absolute assholes and you just can't help them. But for a lot of people, you can just like try to nudge them into the right direction and also be open to be nudged in the right direction because we're all on a journey, right? And if we are open to making mistakes and admitting our mistakes, then people will like, call us out on, the, out on those mistakes and we will learn, learn something about it and feel like, actually feel better. So that's my take. Like, call people out uh, if possible, not in a super aggressive way, but I mean, if they're aggressive towards you, you sometimes have to be aggressive, right? But especially if, you're, if you are personally unaffected by something, then totally say something. Don't let it be, just don't be, don't be the silent bystander, but be the person who, who says like, hey, not cool. Hey, think about what you just said. Yes, yes, yes. Make, makes a lot of sense, everything. And again, I like it how everything, almost everything that you said is basically like such, so generally applicable to, to so many <laughs> right. situations. And I mean, like, these are not my ideas, right? I mean, these are ideas yeah, sure. by people who are way smarter than me, who are just like, but I like reading about them and informing myself about them and then talking about them, of course. Yeah. Talking to you was great fun, exactly as I hoped. <laughs> It was a pleasure for me as well. <laughs> to, to have such great fun. And as such, I thank you very much, Daniel. And I hope we yeah, get to meet each other at some point. Oh, um, yeah, that would be awesome. You're doing this conference in May, right? Right, right. Which is also not so far away from, from right. Augsburg. So I think I bought a ticket. <laughs> I have to look it up. Like I have a three conferences in May. So there are no tickets yet. So maybe you bought a train ticket. Oh, okay. But it's in my calendar. <laughs> That's very so good. something. Yeah. And for the record, Daniel is talking about HumansConf, which will happen on 21st to 23rd of May in 2020. And hopefully this episode will be live <laughs> before the conference. <laughs> 
So thanks for the shameless plug. That was much appreciated. Awesome. Hey, can I plug something as well? <laughs> sure. If you want, you can follow me on Break the System on Twitter. And if you, your own mood and sexuality, check out my app Libi, L-I-B-I on the App Store. That was a great plug. <laughs> Short and sweet. <laughs> yes. So again, thank you, Daniel. That was great fun. And yeah, see you soon. It was awesome. See you, see you soon. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you.